Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part two of his series, Bad Girls of the Bible. All right, good morning, Faith Church. Great to see you guys. Anybody here having a great day? Yeah. I know it's a little cold and rainy outside, but we're glad that you're here. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. So if you're a first-time guest, welcome to Faith Church, man. We hope that today is life-changing for you. To all of our faith family, glad you're here this weekend. want to welcome those who are watching online. Let's give them some love. Some of you may not know this, but we do an online stream. Also, we Facebook Live, and literally, we have thousands of people that swing in and watch part of the service. A lot of them watch all the service. So as always, welcome to Faith Church. Well, hey, listen, I don't know about you guys, but every now and then, I get a little bit nostalgic. Anybody here have some nostalgia for the good old days? I know that makes you say, sound old when you say it, but I'm going to be 46 this year. And I, when I look back, I think about some things that I'm missing. Some, when I look back over my shoulder, some things that like I long for, I miss. Anybody here like nostalgic for some childhood stuff? Let's talk about some childhood stuff. I, here's what's kind of funny is I feel bad for this generation. I feel bad for kids today. You know why? Because even though they got like a lot more cool technology and a lot, of, a lot cooler electronics, um, there was actually a study done for, um, for doctors and hospitals and ERs that per capita, even though there's a lot more kids, there's actually less kids outside of sports um, injuries. There's a lot less um, stitches and broken bones. Now, I know that sounds bad but that's, or sounds like a good thing. That's a bad thing because that means kids out go, aren't going out having adventures like we used to have. Come on, somebody. Like you just find some scrap wood, like maybe in your neighbor's garage, and you go out and build a treehouse, and like it would break, and you would fall and break a bone. Those are good times, somebody. <laughs> nostalgic. I get nostalgic. I feel bad for kids that don't get beatings. Now, I'm not advocating child abuse, but listen, if you never have a beating, you're missing out on life. Like, I remember the days, like, right now, if uh, things don't work out between a kid and a teacher, now the teacher get yell- gets yelled at. Like, my day, like, you got beat by the teacher, and then you went home and got beat by your parents, just in case the teachers didn't do it right. I miss, uh, I feel bad for kids that have 24-hour access to cartoons. Anybody here from the generation, you had to wait till Saturday? And you had to make sure you got up, and, like, you just, there were just cartoons from, like, 6 a.m. to, like, noon, and that's it. And then you had to wait till next week. Like, I feel bad, so I'm nostalgic for some things. I love technology, but I'm nostalgic for some old technology. Like, uh, here's, here's one. This is, um, we were remodeling our lobby out here. Anybody grateful for the lobby? Man, this really turned out great. So while we were going through some old rooms and closets and uh, getting rid of some junk, I came across one of these. This is, you don't recognize this, this is a pager. Come on, baby. Uh, and uh, so I had this sitting on my desk, and my son, who's 13, he seen it. He said, Dad, what is that? And I said, this is a pager. This is pre-cell phone, uh, you know, technology. And he's like, what did you do? And I said, well, you wore it and, you know, it had a phone number. If someone needed to get a hold of you, they would call you and let you know, and then you would call them back. And he said, well, well, how'd you call them back if you didn't have a cell phone? And I said, well, you'd have to go find a phone. He's like, that's stupid. (laughs) 
Here's what's funny, you know, like I come from a home where um, this is true for a long time as, as a child. The only phone we had was a rotary dial phone. Yeah, baby. Rotary dial phone. Some of you, if you had to call 911 right now, you would bleed out because you don't even know how to use a rotary dial phone. Rotary dial phone, like literally, like you'd have to stick your fingers. And like if you messed up on the six digit, shoot, because it'd take you two minutes to redial the phone number. The reason I'm nostalgic for it is because right now, even though it's cool for anybody to call you anywhere at any time, it was nice to only have a phone at home and people couldn't get a hold of you if you weren't home, busy signals. If you were on the phone, only one person could be on one phone at one time, right? Man, I loved it. And you couldn't get too far. Like you didn't have to worry about what your kid was saying in the bedroom because you could only go as far as the cord like <laughs> would take you. I'm nostalgic. I'm nostalgic. I love it. Uh, VCRs. Um, like, I don't miss VCRs, but anybody remember renting some v, uh, VHS tapes, right? Remember, there was a sticker on everyone. Y'all got to help me out. What would it say? Please be kind. Rewind. Man, I'd hate when some, you know, you'd like get there and rent the movie. They would have it in stock and you'd pop it in and some knucklehead wasn't kind. And you'd have to spend the first 20 minutes of your experience rewinding. So uh, here's the thing, though. Here's where I want to go today is I'm nostalgic for some modesty. I miss modesty in society. I, um, I, wonder, I wonder today, as we kind of dive into this topic, I wonder if modesty matters anymore. I wonder if modesty matters in our culture. I, I wonder if modesty is a big deal. Now, I, again, I think maybe for some of us, we think that modesty is something that's outdated, kind of like VCRs and pagers. And, but I just want you to know today that I think, and here's what I want to do, I just want to speak on the sexual swagger of our culture. I want to talk about kind of this provocative pretense that people have that modesty isn't modern. Now, just so you know, we're on the same page getting like into this message and into where we want to go today. Like, I think it's okay to look good. I think it's okay to work out. I think we should be healthy. I think we should take care of ourselves. I think it's okay to wear appropriate clothes that sometimes accent, you know, um, kind of who you are. I think that's okay. When we talk about modesty today and sexuality, what I want you to know is it is clothes, but it's more than clothes. It's how you carry yourself. It's your character. It's your attitude. It's about how you talk to people, how you treat people. And I think for somewhere along the line that, that we've kind of lost this focus of modesty and we've kind of embraced this sexuality. And I think in some level, for some of us as a culture, it's hurting us. As individuals, it's hurting us. And so I just want to kind of tackle this head on. I'm going to tell you when God gave me this assignment, I asked for another one. Because I just know this isn't popular, and I don't really, I'm going to be honest with the pastor, I don't really ever care what people think. I don't as a person. Sometimes that's a flaw of mine. Like, I just do my thing. When I say I don't care what you think, I don't mean that in a rough way. I mean, I want you to really open your hearts. I want to speak to you, and I want God to speak to me, because I think this is a big issue. I think it's a big issue for culture and a big issue for church. But before we jump into, uh, into this topic, we're going to get into a story. And before we get into the story, i got to kind of give you some pieces to help this story make sense. So I did like this little presentation. I hope you guys are okay. Herod, the Herod the Great. Everybody say Herod. Herod was a king, and he was the king. Herod the Great was the king. If you know kind of the Bible story, know the Jesus story, and it is a historical story. Herod was a king over Galilee and Judea. He ruled underneath the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, they would use local governments. As long as they kind of honored the Roman Empire, they would let them stay in rule. So King Herod, he was the king over this region, over the Jews. And man, this cat was ruthless. If he thought anybody was challenging his throne or his crown, he killed him. 
He would execute him. He would wipe him out. He killed some of his sons, his daughters, his uncles, his neighbors. Anybody he thought was threatening his throne, he wiped them out. This cat was so ruthless, some of you remember, this is the king that the wise men went to see to talk about a king being born when they followed the star in the sky, part of the Christmas story. And if you'll remember, King Herod's response was he went and killed everybody two years and younger. So this guy didn't want any rivalries, he didn't want anybody challenging him for the throne. So while he killed a lot of his kids, there are several kids that he had, and it's kind of part of the story. So Herod the Great, again, he was the king when Jesus was born. He had several kids, but three kids specifically that are important in this story is the Aristobulus, Herod Antipas, and Herod Philip. So these are three of his sons. And this Aristobulus, he eventually got married, and he had a daughter by the name of Herodias. Okay, so just track with me. So again, three of the sons that he had, this one had this daughter named Herodias. Now watch this. These guys right here, Herod Antipas, he eventually became the next king. When his dad died, he took over the throne. Herod Antipas was kind of the new king of that region. And he married another, a daughter of another king because back in that day, it was kind of important to build alliances. So you would marry each other's daughters to expand kingdoms and expand alliances. So if you went to war. So Herod Antipas married the daughter of this king. Her name was Phasaelus. Now, Herod Philip, do you notice who he married? Now, I know it's, it's right here, baby. If you don't read the Bible, you need to read the Bible because it is straight. It's straight soap opera. It's scandal. It's murder. It's sex. It's good stuff, right? So you notice Herodias is not over here because Herodias married her uncle, Herod Philip. I know, right? They hooked up, and they had a daughter, among other children. They had a daughter named Salome. Now, Salome, her name is not found in Scripture, but we know historically Josephus, a Jewish historian, knew, very familiar with this family line. The Herods were very important people. They tell us, or he tells us this girl's name. So, so again, Herod the Great so has these kids. This daughter marries this uncle. Now, here's where it gets crazy. Like, this ain't even crazy yet. It gets crazier. So here's what happened. Herod Antipas went to visit Herod Philip and Herodias for like this Roman vacation. They're out on the boat, they're fishing, they're out hunting in the woods, and every night when they come home, like all of a sudden Herod Antipas starts getting an eye for his brother's wife. Don't forget it's his niece also. And she gets an eye for him. This guy doesn't have any real power, so she doesn't want just another dude. She wants some power. So they, they kind of talk about what can they do to get together. So Herodias divorces Herod Philip and goes and she divorces his wife and they hook up. And then Salome comes over here and lives with them. I know, right? So let me just, let me just pack this up right here. So Herodias is now the wife to her uncle, Herod Antipas, an ex-wife to her husband's half-brother, Herod Philip. Aye, aye. Salome is the great niece of her new stepdad, Herod Antipas. And let's just go home. Like, I think that's all we can handle. Here's why this is important. Because it's all of these crazy family dynamics that brings us into the story. And we're going to read a lot of scripture here because i got to unpack this story and then we'll get where we're going. So here's the story. When Herod Antipas, who is now the king after his dad Herod, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, heard about his miracles, heard about his teaching, heard about the things that he was doing, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do such miracles. Now, some of you who may be new to church or new to spiritual things, you're like, wait a minute, now you're bringing a new character. Who's John the Baptist? John the Baptist, as some of you know, he was 
the cousin of Jesus, but really his, his call, his mission in life was he was a prophet and he was there to announce to the area, kind of to set things up, to set the stage for the ministry of Jesus. And he was well known, but at this point he's dead. And you're like, wait a minute, we, got, we already got all this scandal and all this stuff going on. Now somebody's dead. Well, here's how John the Baptist died. It says, for Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his, his wife Herodias. That's an interesting favor. I'm glad my wife doesn't ask for favors like that. And it says, right here, it gives us this relational component, uh, again, as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry her. So you have a niece marrying an uncle, divorcing her husband to hook up with him, and he divorced his wife. John the Baptist, a prophet, a voice for God, says, hey, no good. It's not right. It's not okay. It's not kosher, not cool. God's not looking at it saying thumbs up. It's no good. John doesn't like it. Herodias doesn't like it. They're not happy for being called out. So Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. He would have killed him, but he knew if he killed him, there would be an uproar in his area and Rome would come down on him, so he just allowed him to live. But Herodias, anybody know a woman scorned? Hell hath no fury. She's upset. Herodias bore a grudge against John, and she wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. Watch this. For Herod respected John, knowing that he was a good and holy man and protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Like, this is this morbid thing where he would hook up with John, John would come and probably tell him a lot of stuff he didn't like to hear, but he still liked talking to him, but got mad that he talked to him. So, I mean, it's this crazy thing. Keep going. And here's where, if, you, if I could have some music, and I should have cued some, I need to plan better. This is the part of the story where, like, you hear this dun 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 because, like, the whole tone of the story switches. So here's the setup, okay? Here's the setup. John the Baptist is telling this couple, your relationship's no good. You divorced your husband to get with him. He divorced his wife to get with you. It's no good. He's mad. She's mad. And she's looking for a way to take him out. She's looking for a way to put a hit out on him. And Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance. Y'all got to say this. That greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. What, what a dance. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. So this is, don't miss this, this, this was a setup. From the beginning, this was Herodias looking for an opportunity to kill John. So in this room, there's all these important people, all these people hanging out, partying, drinking. There's a DJ in the corner. There's a ball spinning in the middle of the room. And Herodias is in the back in her daughter's ear saying, go out and dance because I know my husband, your uncle, your stepdad, I mean, it's confusing, but he's going to be happy. And when he offers you something, you ask for John the Baptist's head because this is it. Then the king regretted what he had said. But because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Now, here's the crazy thing. There's so much you could talk about 
in this story. There's a lot of stuff we can go on, but I'm just telling you out of the gate, is this story not crazy? And some of you say, this story's cray-cray. Again, you got family scandal, you got cross-marrying, you got divorce, you got murder. I mean, it's, it's straight out of the, the Woman's Network movies. Like, that's what this is from. And it's all this stuff going on. And, you know, a lot of times you see, you can take things out of the, out of the Bible, you can take stories out, and a lot of times it makes great decor for children's rooms, like Noah's Ark. We decorated our daughter's room, Noah's Ark, and we had a border around the room with the animals two by two going into the ark. Like, nobody's got John the Baptist being beheaded on a comforter set. If you do, something's wrong. This is, this is a crazy story to talk about. But here's the thing. Again, there's a lot in it that we could unpack. I could do a series just on this topic. He talks about it, something that's a big deal in our culture, divorce. Is divorce okay? Jesus answers the question. I'm not going to really get into it today. But at least what you need to take away is that it's never okay, it's not okay, it should never be okay, it's always out of bounds to fall in love with somebody else when you're married and to divorce who you're married to just to marry someone else, especially if they're married to someone else. Like, like it's a culture, we just need to hear that. We just need to be reminded of that. We can talk about not just that, we can talk about denial. Because I don't know about you, but I can identify with King Herod because I don't always like to hear the truth. When someone comes and tells me something that even though it's true, I don't like to hear it, I'll do what I can to get away from that person, to get mad at that person, to get even with that person, because I like him. I get offended by the truth sometimes. Anybody with me? Yeah. Some people quit going to church at times because they got hit with the truth. I can identify. I can identify with this story, and I think you can too, the peer pressure, because we've all buckled under peer pressure where we do something to somebody else or we make a decision because friends are there and we don't want to let them down, we don't want to disappoint them, so we do even what we know is wrong because of people who are in the room. So there's a lot of stuff we can talk about, but what I want to talk about today, and this is where we're going to go for another 22 minutes, is where I want to go today is this, is it's not really what Salome got, but how she got it. It's not that she went out and she wanted John the Baptist's head on a plate, even though that's crazy and we can talk about that. What I want to talk about is how she got the head on a platter. And here's where we're going to go for a little while today is Salome leveraged her sexuality to get what she wanted. Salome leveraged her sexuality to get what she wanted. And so we're clear out of the gate. I'm just telling you, and nobody has to be overly smart like, this is happening in our culture. People are leveraging their sexuality. People are leveraging their flirtiness. People are leveraging their bodies. People are leveraging kind of the touch and feel. People are leveraging their sexuality to get what they want all the time. We see it, right? We see it in sexting. Sexting is sex a big deal right now. It's happening on all fronts. It's not just junior hires. It's not just high schoolers. Adults are participating in it sending pictures of each other, partly naked, half naked, pictures of lingerie in the mirror. And why? Because what we do is, when I'm talking about leveraging sexuality, I'm talking about when we, when you, when I, when our culture, when we try to get the commitment of someone's attention so we can get the job, so we can get the grade, so we can get the relationship, so we can get the promotion, when we take a part of who we are and we project ourselves into that situation just so we can get ahead. And it is a big deal, and it happens all the time. And I'm telling you, like, it's on social media. And let me just throw a couple out that everybody in this room can identify. And if this is you, don't get mad because I'm not calling anybody by name because I see these pictures all the time. 
A girl goes and she gets her hair done and she wants everybody to see her new hair, but she don't want just people to see her hair. She wants everybody else to see her, the rest of her assets. So she takes a picture of her hair. Hey, like you like my new hair. And it's not just her hair. It's showing everything else. Are you all with me? Come on, don't get mad at me. Because like the gig is up. Everybody knows you're not just showing us your hair. I'm just telling you, dudes ain't looking at your hair. Look at her hair, honey. I like her highlights. Y'all look and see where she got them at because I like them. Just so we're clear today, we're not just talking about guy or girls. We're talking about guys and girls. We're talking about the sexual swagger of our society. We're talking about the provocativeness that kind of is on outside of the bounds. And I think it's unhealthy. And it's unhealthy for you. And it's unhealthy for us. And it's unhealthy for our culture. And it really is a big deal. Again, we take pictures. Again, dudes, dudes, you guys, man, you're guilty of this too because like you'll get a new watch and you'll get your phone and you'll post a picture like, look at my new watch. And like, you don't want people to see your watch. You want people to see your bicep. Like you don't have a shirt on and you just got like this buckle and you're like, look at my belt buckle. <laughs> I was going to take my shirt off and show you what it looked like, but I didn't want to. So <laughs> to understand how big of a deal this is, let me just give you two quotes. This first one is out of a story, literally was just written at an Oregon university called The Odyssey, the name of this newspaper, it's written by a male student, and he wrote, um, he wrote an article about the business of boys. This is what he had to say. Again, this is a message to guys and girls, but he addresses girls. Listen to, listen to a young college male's perspective of sexuality in society. He says, I've mentioned the importance of gaining attention, so I say leverage your sexuality. If you think this is beneath you or have a holier-than-thou attitude about girls who engage in this behavior, consider which girls are consistently being talked to when you're out. Yeah, it's those girls who know how to taunt boys and probably aren't reading this column because they already know how to get attention. Again, men are simple, visual creatures, and it doesn't take much for them to take notice. Can all the men just, yeah, I'll amen you, Amen. You're not selling out your feminism. You're simply being smart and embracing your natural gifts. If anything, it should be empowering. So go out there, flaunt what you've got, and don't listen to what the morally righteous say to bring you down. So ladies, guys, society's looking at you saying, hey, if you got it, flaunt it, use it. But is it okay? Is it all right to, to leverage your sexuality to get what you want? Here's another one. This is an article written by a female. She's a, uh, she's a psychologist, and she's not really talking, pro, she's talking pros and cons, and she doesn't really land anywhere. But this is interesting. This is her perspective of our culture. Notice what she says. The message is extremely clear. In order to be successful as a woman, you must be proactive. You must leverage your sexuality to get to the top. Your sexuality is your most important aspect. Who needs to do well in science class if you can seduce the science nerds into doing well for you? Something to be said for that. <laughs> Here's a couple of things. I'm going to give you three things real quick, and I'll get out of your way. Number one, I'd encourage you to write these down. If you leverage your sexuality to get what you want, you won't like what you get. If you are leveraging your sexuality, if you are flirting your way to the top, if you are revealing your way to the promotion, if you are sexting your way into the relationship... If you are revealing your goods, if you are in your words, if in how you treat people, in the way you approach people, in the way you touch people, again, we're not just talking about clothes. We're talking about the way we carry ourselves. If you are leveraging, intentionally leveraging your sexuality to get what you want, you won't like what you get. Because let me tell you something about Salome. 
Salome got what she wanted. She got the head of John the Baptist on the platter, but she lost her respect. There was a study done, uh, Princeton University. It was done at Princeton University, and they used all these male students, Princeton uh, University students, to participate in this study, and this is what the study was. They took these men, and basically they wired up their brains. They sat them in front of computers, and they wired the brain activity to see what part of the brain was kind of lighting up and responding to certain photographs as they showed women in varying degrees of clothing. So they showed pictures of women fully dressed and partially dressed and not really dressed, and, and they measured the brain activity. Do you know what they found out? Something really, really important you all need to pay attention to, guys and girls, but especially girls. What they found was that as these young men looked at pictures of women that were scantily clad, that didn't have a lot of clothes on, the portion of their brain that lit up was the portion of the brain that has to do with tools like hammers and screwdrivers. There were a lot of young men that the part of the brain that has to do with relationship, the part of the brain that has to do with what a person thinks and feels showed zero brain activity. One of the professors who were part of this study said this, it was as if these young men saw these women as objects and not as people. Something to be used and not someone to know. Really important. You use tools for personal benefit. You have relationships with people for mutual benefit. So I'm just telling you, if you're leveraging your sexuality, if you're putting pictures of yourself out there, if you're being overtly flirtatious, nothing wrong with being an extrovert, but if you're intentionally trying to put your business out there to get the relationship, get the job, get the promotion, get the grades, if you're doing that, you might get what you wanted, but it's going to come at a cost. Because I'm just telling you why Salome got what she wanted. Every man in that room no longer seen her as a woman, but as an object. And you have to ask yourself a question. Am I a person or am I a thing? Because if you are leveraging sexuality, people are looking at you as a thing to be used. Don't be surprised when they want to use you. Number two, if you leverage your sexuality to get what you want, you are defrauding someone in the process. Now, the first point was kind of a general thing. It's for everybody, whether you're an unbeliever, a believer, spiritual, unspiritual, church, unchurch. This one right here is for us probably that are insiders, for us that call ourselves Christ followers or Christians. This is really important you understand this, that if you are intentionally leveraging your sexuality, showing your business, being, again, overly flirtatious, how you talk to people, how you treat people, if you're leveraging your sexuality to get what you want, you probably are defrauding someone in the process. Now, defraud is not a word that we use a lot. It is a word, however, that's used in Scripture in seven different places. Oftentimes, we are admonished in Scripture to not defraud somebody. So what does it mean to defraud somebody? Here's the definition of defrauding someone. When you communicate a right and then deny that right. When you cheat somebody out of something. It's like to advertise something and then not to give it. Let me give you an example. I'm, I'm all about some Five Guys burgers and fries. Oh, that was a great response, a great opportunity for y'all to get on board right there. If you weren't on board, Five Guys, anybody here a fan of Five Guys burgers and fries? Woo, I'm all about it. So now let me ask you a question. If, if you've never been there, anybody want to take a guess on what Five Guys burgers and fries sells? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, chicken. So <laughs> several months ago, we went there and we walk in and you know, I go to get burger and fries, and we get up there, and I go to order, and I say, let me get a cheeseburger, and they're like, we're sorry, we're all out of burgers. 
That was my response. Then they said this. However, we do have hot dogs. Don't nobody want a hot dog? That's like going to Krispy Kreme and them saying, we're out of Krispy Kreme donuts. However, we have broccoli. Listen, that's... Sorry, we're all out of burger patties. We're waiting on a shipment, but you can get a hot dog and fries. So I'm just telling you, when you drive up there, the sign says burgers and fries. You can smell in the air the aroma of burgers and fries. They're advertising. What? Burgers and fries. But when you go in, you know what they say? Can't have no burger. That's defrauding. Now, this word, to advertise something, to communicate you can have something, but then say you can't have it, is what Scripture admonishes us. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, this is what God says is off limits for God followers. If you're a guy, stop defrauding girls. If you're a girl, stop defrauding guys. Here's what it means. Listen, here's what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive. The King James says, do not defraud each other of sexual relations. Now, this is in the context of marriage saying guys and girls, husbands and wives, that sexually we should be there to meet each other's needs, and that's okay, that's, that's part of what a relationship is about. But he uses this word, he says, hey, don't defraud. Everybody shout defraud. He's saying don't defraud each other, and this word again is used in the New Testament, and what it's saying is don't advertise that you're going to give something to somebody if you get what you want and then not give them what you advertise. Oh, it's real quiet. You can't say, if you give me the grade, if you give me the job, if you give me the promotion, if you give me the relationship, look what you get, and then not give it. Because when you do that, you're defrauding them. Let's just be clear so everybody's on the same page because we're big boys and girls. To sexually arouse somebody and not meet that arousal sexually is defrauding them. God says, don't do it. Why? Why? Because you, it's a lose-lose proposition. Because if you advertise your business, just again, not just in clothing, but in words and actions and dress, when you advertise your business that if, hey, if I get that, you get this, and then you don't come through and give it, you're defrauding them. That's one side of the wrong. The other side is you go ahead and give them what you advertise. If you ain't married to them, that is out of bounds. It's wrong. So it's a lose-lose proposition. And if I can just be real, come on, guys and girls in this house, I'm just telling you to take it a step further. I just think we owe it not just to ourselves and not just to our relationship with God, but we owe it to each other to be really aware that modesty matters, that we need to gauge the sexual swagger of this generation and dial it back because we're causing each other to stumble. Can I just get an amen? That it's a real challenge. It's an issue. We need to have an awareness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, listen, if, if you look at a person, if you look at a person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Now, I don't want to make the mistake that Muslims make or that other people make. The reason that Muslim women wear burqas is because basically what they teach is that it's a woman's responsibility to make sure a man doesn't sin by lusting. So cover that junk up. I'm not advocating burqas. My wife is way too fine for a burger. <laughs> and that takes responsibility off of us. So we're clear, ladies and gentlemen, you have responsibility to guard your heart. And if your heart is not guarded, that's on you. However, we just need to do each other a favor and guard the sexual purity of our brother and sister in Christ by just having an awareness of how we carry ourselves with our sexuality and how modest we are. Number three. Glad, glad y'all are here today. 
if you leverage your sexuality to get what you want, <laughs> you'll have to leverage your sexuality to keep it. If you got into a relationship by leveraging your sexuality, you know how you're going to stay in that relationship? So you can't put all the goods on the boulevard and then pull back. If you got the promotion by flirting with the boss, if you got the grade by flirting with the dean, if you got what you wanted by leveraging your sexuality, I want you to know something. The only way you're going to keep moving up the corporate ladder, keep getting the raises, keep getting the promotion, keep getting the job, keep getting the grades, you know how? You're going to keep it the way you got it, and that means you're going to have to keep leveraging your sexuality, which puts you in a lose-lose situation. Because I want you to know, you are far more. I don't care what the young man at your Oregon University says in the Odyssey. You are far more than your sexuality, and there is more to you than who you are on the outside. You are God's creation. You are made with gifts and talents and abilities that make you who you are. See, if you'll, if you'll use who you really are, your giftings and your talent and your brain and your smarts and your hardware, if you'll leverage that on your, against your success, I'm just going to tell you because we live in a real world. You may not get that promotion that the girl got who was flaunting all her business. <laughs> Guy, you may not get the girl who put his abs on display. But I promise you, I promise you, if you walk with character and integrity in this world, God will honor you. See, because here's what you need to know. The gifts and talents that we should be leveraging for our future Here's why that's important, because sexuality depreciates. Gifts appreciate. Your sexuality, I'm just telling you, I'm 46, it's going downhill, baby. Gravity is not kind. Can we just get an amen in the house? Sexuality, it declines. I'm not saying you can't be sexual with age. I'm not saying you can't have some sexuality in, your, in the proper context of marriage with age. But I'm just telling you, baby, you don't look good at 45 as you did at 25. That's a fact. Well, I mean, I do, but mostly, speaking in large general terms. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, my gifts and my talents and my abilities as I hone them, they just keep getting better and better and better and better. And I can depend, come on, I can depend on who God's created me to be instead of trying to be who the world expects me and demands me to be. And so, man, the world, we live in a culture that just kind of expects it now. And we live in a world that we just participate in it now. Here's the craziest thing, right? Is if you're leveraging your sexuality to get what you want, at minimum, it's manipulation. At minimum, you're manipulating your way into relationship. You're manipulating your way into job. But at worst, it's idolatry. What's idolatry? Idolatry is when you worship something other than the true God. And you depend on that idol to provide for you. So when you think it's your body, when you think it's your ability, when you think it's your flirtatiousness, when you think it's your personality, when you think it's your extrovert type that gets you ahead in this world, then you're depending on who you are and what you have to bless and prosper your life rather than the God who promised to take care of you and meet your needs. That's idolatry. See, because where the rubber meets the road, because I, I always, when I stand on this platform, I always just believe the best about people because I want people to believe the best about me. So I don't think probably anybody, like most of us just home, just shooting crazy pictures on social media or carrying ourselves or flirting with all of our bosses. And I'd say most of us, that's just not our life. But if I can just be honest for a few minutes, 
I think it just happens by accident. I think sometimes we're just unaware of what we're projecting. I think we're sometimes just unaware, we're aloof of what people are seeing. We're not really careful with what we put on ourselves or how we project ourselves. And so we may not be leveraging our sexuality on purpose, but we are leveraging nonetheless. First place I was in youth ministry at my, one of the privileges I had as a youth pastor was just to help young kids, students through tough times. A lot of times a kid can't talk to their parents. We want them to be able to, we hope they can, but a lot of times they're looking for someone else that's a voice of reason, someone else that has an objective point of view. And so to be a youth pastor meant that every week I would stay after youth service. And as our youth ministry grew, Sometimes I would be there for a couple hours after youth group as literally kids would want line up. They would do their homework to wait to talk to me. But early on, our youth group was pretty small and I'll never forget sitting on a metal seat to a girl next to me. My wife was there and just sitting there talking to this young girl. I don't remember what her problem was. I don't remember what her issue was. I do remember because of the story is so real still to me. I remember she had shorts on and anybody here knows me. If you've been at this church long enough, if you know me on any personal level, you know I'm a touch person. Like, I like hugging people. I'm not a handshaker. I'm a hugger. And I don't just hug the girls. I hug the guys. And I don't just hug the young people. I hug the old people, young people, everybody in between. And so that's just kind of part of who I am. So I just have to be careful. So I'm sitting there. I'm talking to this young girl. And at some point at the end of the conversation, totally innocent. Didn't think In my brain, I wasn't thinking anything. Just reached over and patted her leg. Like, it's, it's going to be all right. So she leaves, and later on we get home. My wife, man, she called me to task. She's like, hey, man, we need to talk. And I'm like, what's going on? And she started saying, you know, man, when you touch that girl's leg, you know, you, you need to be careful because she's looking for a relationship. She's in a vulnerable place right now. And I got defensive, like, like I put her, almost put her in prison. Like, I got offended, like, Herod, I'm like, no, I didn't want to hear that. And I needed to hear that. That sometimes you can leverage your sexuality. You can break outside of the bounds, bounds of modesty in how you touch, how you talk, how you treat what you wear in a way that's unhealthy that you don't mean to, but still you leverage sexuality to somebody else and it creates a false representation of who you are to them and an expectation of what you can be to them. And so if you're here and you're overtly off the rails with your sexuality, I just want to challenge you to reel your swagger in. And if you're here and this whole time you're like, that's not me, I'm good. Then I just want to challenge you just to take a long, hard look and be honest with yourself. And allow like my wife did for me, maybe the Holy Spirit to do for you to, fo to show you something that maybe you've not seen. How is your neighbor seeing you? How are your coworkers seeing you? Because it's a big deal when you leverage your sexuality to get what you want.